And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses, to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. All right. Thanks again for joining me today. I am sitting down with Alex Amantio, who is the CEO of Reflector Entertainment. Now, Reflector is a transmedia company with an exciting new IP, Unknown 9, which was previously teased out at New York's Comic-Con and is now set to launch this fall uh, with the announcement of a new AAA game. Uh, CEO and creator Alex previously was a creative director behind the hit Assassin. Assassin's Creed franchise and is set to revolutionize the way the fans and audiences experience storytelling with this out-of-the-box, technically innovative approach to their new IP. Their content is built on multiple platforms simultaneously to build out story worlds. I'm going to understand a little bit more about what that is um, and allowing the company to tell richer, deeper stories that connect with fans everywhere through television, mobile, uh, game, console, novels, comics, digital content, etc. Um, and all these pieces support each other. So this is what Alex is working on now. He has an incredible career uh, before he started working um, with, obviously, CEO of Reflector and with Unknown. So Alex, I really, really appreciate you coming on. I'm really excited to understand your story because everything you're doing is so impressive, but I don't come from the world of creative. So I want to understand a little bit more about your career and how you got into what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean... I think like the, the cool thing about uh, careers in the creative world is that um, the paths are very different and uh, it's almost uh, the kind of um, the kind of like everybody that I know has a different journey. It's like almost like every single journey is completely unplottable until you've done it. Right. And then in hindsight, you look at it. Oh, my God, it all makes sense. But when you're doing it, it just seems like eh, the right decision, at the right time. So. My career, I actually started um, in school. I was I was I was going to study science. I was uh, I was always going to be a science person. I love physics, and art was something that was just part of my life ever since I was a kid. I I, I drew. I I you know I sang in a band. I played instruments. So I always figured that was going to be sort of my my hobby. Um, but then um, you know, one point I, I see this movie Jurassic Park, and um, I I saw them do things that like bring back to life things that had been dead for millions of years in a way that, I mean, it, it complete um, uh, realism. And I foresaw in that uh, where we were heading with entertainment, with games and with film. And like, we could build worlds, the worlds that we could only imagine, like a, even a few years back, now we could, we could start building them. So I, I, I did a complete 180. I, I, I quit school. I, I, um, the only way I could learn to do 3D was there was these private schools that uh, that uh, we had two in Montreal, I think, back then. You, you can do it through the normal school program. So I I, I enrolled in that. I did a, like an eight-month crash course in 3D and then started working. Um, there was like today, the video game industry in Montreal is huge. But back then, there was maybe only Ubisoft. And so I didn't get picked for, as the initial uh, um, like wave of employees. So I, I worked for about like almost four years in visual simulation. I did simulators for... Um, like ship simulators and, and uh, aircraft, helicopter simulators, learned all about um, how to do a lot with very little. 
and then at one point I, I got um I got a, a, a an entry like a, essentially an opportunity to go into a video game company. It was this small video game studio in Montreal that was French owned. And uh, I worked there for about four years and uh, we did little games that probably nobody ever heard about. Like uh, I did a game called Tennis Master Series. I think it was like the 2003 or four. And then I did a, a game called uh, Memorick Knight's Apprentice, which was a, a platformer. But we were doing the, these things with about a, like from a tenth to a fifth of the budget that other companies were doing them. So we had to, to come up with innovative ways of actually getting it done. So even if the games that we did were were, you know, small games that are that nobody knows about this was the best possible school to learn how to um to work in the in the industry because you know if you wanted something done and nobody else was assigned to do it it's either you do it or it doesn't get done so it allowed me i i was uh, i was lead artist but i also play the role of the art director of the technical art director so um uh, at one point or uh, on memoric the 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 writer or the, the lead designer was also writing. He quit the join Ubisoft and I ended up writing it. I had done some writing, creative writing in my spare time. So it really allowed me to, to test my, you know, put out my creative feelers and, and to test the limits of what I could do. Um, so after that, the, the company closed down and um, we were, we were uh, bought by Ubisoft. They didn't buy the IP. Uh, they just bought literally the furniture and the employees, <laughs> literally. So uh, I found myself from from this small company where we we were, I guess, eighty people working on two or three games sometimes, super small teams, to a huge company where I think we had about like that number just in my game, and my game was Far Cry Two. Um, I remember so, Far Cry. That was a good, <laughs> that, that, those are these are started starting to become bigger names, I guess. Second, you move over to Ubisoft because that's a, that was a huge game. Yeah, and and I mean the first one had come out. It was uh, it was this uh, relatively obscure game made by a German studio called uh, uh, Crytek, and Ubisoft bought the game engine and bought the IP with it. And our first mandate was how do you turn this into an IP that will you know like be more successful and bigger. So it was the first one was all about like mutant monsters and an island, tropical island. So we dropped those and we 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 made it about you know. Um, you know, human against nature, like, uh, you know, the wrong place, the, 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 the a guy that's the wrong place, the wrong time, but it's the right person to be in, in that. Mm -hmm. wrong place. So, so it was all about a fish out of water. And we, we envisioned this IP being always with a different protagonist. But all, the, the one thing that was common to everything was the fact that you had this character that was dropped into from their, their perspective was an alien world. And they had to use their wits to survive against these bad guys. And, uh, <clears throat> um, the, the, executive producer back then gave me a, a challenge. He said, look, I want this game. He showed me what Crisis was now working on. And he shows me this game that would become a game called uh, Crisis, uh, the company Crytek did it. And um, he shows me this game and goes, I want Far Cry 2 to look as good as that. And I looked at the screen, I'm like, but that's running on a $5,000, $6,000 computer. And you know, we have to run on a $300 Xbox. So, but I, I guess because I was young and a little naive, I accepted the challenge. And uh, I spent the next three years trying to figure out how, how do you reinvent the way that you create art assets for, for video game in a way that you essentially circumvent the flaws of consoles, which back then were memory. You know, you didn't have enough memory. You know, like these, these big computers had these amazing graphic cards with, you know, a lot of RAM, whereas you were limited in an Xbox or a PlayStation. So what the advantage we had in the consoles is we had a lot of processing power. So I envisioned this way of creating, rather than using high resolution pictures to, to sort of create the surfaces for the game, which is the traditional way of doing it, I instead try to figure out how do we simulate surfaces? So by using things like uh, fractals and like, uh, like small tileable textures but you, that you stack and then blend between one and the other and trying to reproduce actual surfaces rather than trying to map them with big pictures. And uh, the added benefit to this was that it made assets be a lot more flexible. We could, we could um, essentially have them accumulate dirt over time. We could have them rust uh, so they felt more alive. We could burn them and, and have them actually literally turn to ash. So it made for a game that not only I think looked great at the time, but also that was the, probably the most dynamic and immersive open world that had ever done, been done back then. 
you could you could you know burn it like fire propagation through wind and uh, you know the vegetation was all dynamic you could literally uh, shoot branches and if you stayed there long enough watching you'd see the branch grow back hmm. uh, so everything was procedural everything was so so i was a uh, I felt very proud of, of that, especially because the, for the first two and a half years, people thought it was nuts, um, you know, because before all the tech was ready and everything was ready, it didn't look very good. But I was like, no, trust me, it'll work. This is going to work. And, and luckily, I guess, again, I, I guess I, I was lucky it, it worked out and it, it turned out really great. Uh, it bought me a lot of uh, capital within the company. Uh, so what I said is, well, as our director, and because after after the game, like uh, Autodesk had me, which they're, they're the makers of the 3D software that we used. They had me tour the world. I, they uh, they invited me to Japan. I did conferences on this new uh, like technique for creating assets. So after having done that, I I figured, well, you know, it, it, there's very like I, I couldn't see how I could sort of top that at least in the short term as an mm -hmm. art director. So I I I asked Ubisoft, well, I'd like to I'd like to to, to evolve towards creative direction and uh they said but you know like we really like you as an art director you just did far cry 2 and like yeah i understand but you know i think i i have something to bring uh in terms of creative direction so they said okay look we're and and this this is i, I really appreciated this uh the, the fact that they actually went for this but they said look we'll give you a room they converted a a, a big meeting room into a sort of a private little uh lab and they, they gave me two designers, um, uh, some programmers, and they said, you know what, um, pitch us a game. Come up with something and, and we'll see what you can do as, uh, as creative director. And I said, okay. So they gave me three months. Um, I came back with uh, five pitches. Um, and uh, I think we had three prototypes. Um, one was actually AR, an augmented reality Assassin's Creed that you could play on a table. Um, one was, I think, a platformer. The other one was a pirate game. Uh, and uh, anyways, there was a, a bunch of different concepts and I pitched them to the various executive producers at Ubisoft and one, I think, saw potential in me. And he said, look, the five games that you just pitched, I think we should make all five of them. But I mean, it's just not going to happen because we, we, we can't start those many new IPs. And he says, I certainly don't have the power to start a new IP in this company. You'd have to get a, a green light from like very top. That being said, I think you could bring something to this, to, to my, my brand that I manage, which is sort of nascent. Uh, they had done a couple of uh, games, which was Assassin's Creed. And he said, look, I, I want you to do the biggest, most ambitious one that we've ever uh, done. Um, and uh, I wanted to sort of like break new ground. I want it to be um, the next generation. Uh, but before we do that, um, we sort of have a little problem. Like, okay, I'm listening. And he goes, well, um, we sort of, uh, we're working on AC3, but we sort of need to, 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 to release an Assassin's Creed game this year. And I went like, what do you, what do you mean this year? Like, like, like 11 months from now? And he goes, yeah. And we don't really have a team because the, the team that's made the previous ones, they're, they're, they're burnt out. They're, they're, they're much, much needed rest. So we're gonna have to create a new team and uh, you'd be the creative director. And then we'd get a producer who, uh, who hasn't shipped an Assassin's Creed game yet either. And uh, maybe you guys meet, if you guys get along well, you know, we can, we can get this started. And they, they again, keep giving you all the easy jobs there. Eh? <laughs> well, probably because again, because I probably because I was young and very naive. I said, ah, sure. Like challenge accepted. I, I, I like hard missions. And so we, we essentially, um, we formed the team and um, we, from beginning to end, we shipped uh, Assassin's Creed Revelations in 10 months. Hmm. which is uh, the record for, I think, I think for, for, for uh, a full-size Assassin's Creed game. And we ended up, um, it went so smoothly. I think that um, the stars must have been aligned because the team that we put together was, um, I think, one of the best teams that I've certainly ever worked with in my entire career. Um, so we shipped that. And then uh, the executive producer said, well, you, you know that pirate game that you pitched? That was a pretty cool idea. You think we can sort of make an Assassin's Creed game with that? I'm like, yeah, for sure. So I, I essentially started uh, the conception of Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which was then called Golden Age. And I got it greenlit um, by uh, upper management. And then afterwards, I went on to um, the big one that I was supposed to do originally, 
which they had sort of started, but it was a little bit lacking direction. It was lacking a creative director. So uh, my, my, my revelations team continued on Black Flag, and I went on to pick up uh, Unity to, to, to ship that game, because that was sort of the, the big priority for the company. It was a big, big investment. It was their next generation Assassin's Creed. So um, um, it was probably, uh, well, certainly back then, it was the most ambitious. It was huge. We, we reconstructed Paris in its full splendor, but Paris as it was before it was re, uh, redone by Napoleon III and, and uh, an architect called Haussmann. Um, so we did the medieval Paris that you can't see today. Um, unless you go um, uh, uh, to the center island, Ile de la Cité, you, you still can see that old Paris, but that's pretty much it. The rest of Paris was beautified and with those big buildings that you now know. Um, so, um, and we ended up breaking a lot of ground, like first uh, sort of co-op Assassin's Creed game, first uh, full-sized um, city where you could go into interiors as well. Before you needed loading, you couldn't sort of go into houses because they were actually too small. They weren't a scale. They were about a third too small. And we were able to actually have crowds of up to 10,000 NPCs on screen, which was probably still is, I think, the record in the game um, for a fully realized crowd. So we, we ended up breaking a lot of technical ground on that game. It was very, very uh, ambitious production. And then... Um, as I was working, like throughout my, my career as creative director, I, I really started seeing the, and this started with Revelations, I started seeing that what we were working on, what we were building, it was more than video games. I think that we, we were stuck in the medium, but in reality, we were building a modern mythology. We were building um, these, a, a mirror to society. We were building these new characters and these new factions that sort of represented currents that were, that, that humanity was sort of going through, which I think is, is probably what entertainment does best. It's, it sort of provides society with a mirror. Yeah. And I felt that we were expanding this story um, across a lot of different media, like comic books. Uh, with Revelations, we actually did a pilot for uh, an animated uh, um, show that we actually released the pilot, but we never pursued the show. But we were, we were doing spin-offs, novels, and the novels that for the games that I worked on weren't the story of the game. It was always a different story that was complementary to the game, expanding the game. It was a standalone, but if you combine both, you could have a different perspective. And I started really realizing that, um, that entertainment companies in general were focusing on the medium, and I, I started wondering, why are they doing that? Why, why is a film studio, you know, a film studio when what the value that they're creating, like let's say Lucasfilm, for example, what they're creating is a modern mythology. It's Star Wars, right? Whether it's a film or a comic book or a game, makes no difference. The, the worth, the, the, the product that they're creating is the mythology. It's not the medium. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, something else came to mind. I realized that this is exactly what a lot of companies, the mistake that a lot of companies make. Like if you look at Kodak, for example, Kodak um, was the number one reference for everything to do with your memories, right? And in my opinion, when they were at their apex, Kodak was the memory company. It was the memories of your life. But because they were making most of their revenue through film, because they were developing your film, like back then, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine today, but people were literally putting their film in envelopes, shipping them to Kodak, and Kodak would send pictures back through the mail. And like over 80% of their revenue was, was, was from, from film. So when their own R&D department invented the digital chip, the digital camera, they're like, well, this is no use to us because it cuts us out of our main revenue. So they sold it off, right? Yeah. And then they ended up killing themselves. But if Kodak, rather than seeing themselves as a film company, they saw themselves as a, an image company or a memory company, they probably today would dominate the world of digital camera, of digital, like Photoshop would maybe be one of their products, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that this is the same mistake that sometimes entertainment companies do, is rather than viewing themselves as, as creators of mythologies, they see themselves through the lens of their medium, and the medium might not exist 20 years from now, but people will always want stories and characters. So this is where, after Unity, um, this had sort of grown in my mind, and I decided to, to, to leave Ubisoft and to start something on my own where I would maybe try to found the company that was based on those values, on this idea of creating myth, 
So this is where Reflector um, uh, sort of came about. Um, I wanted to actually, I wanted to highlight a point that you mentioned that I think that you're probably going to get into, but I noticed as I, I fully agree with what you're saying about this whole mythology and this whole brand, I've noticed that fans actually supplement a lot of those lost opportunities that brands don't take advantage of in some of those, in some of those, uh, you know, those companies that you mentioned. And it's a shame because you see all that ancillary stuff created after the fact. You're absolutely right. And, and the other, the other, and you're, you're so right because the other, the other angle, uh, like creating an IP and doing it like in a transmedia way with a lot of products and telling complimentary stories, uh, the, the, the fan base, that's the missing piece of the puzzle. Because uh, if you're able to integrate the fan base and make them part of the creation process, make them part of the, of the tissue, of the meta tissue of the IP, that I think is when you've, you've, you've essentially reached that transmedia nirvana. Because I mean, look, and this is, I've, I've had discussions about this with a lot of people that, uh, that really believe in transmedia. Like, um, you know, you might know a guy called Tim Kring. He created mm -hmm. Heroes, right? And uh, that TV show was one of the first, if not the first TV show to really capitalize on, on social media and, and the modern world. They created a strong community and they created a lot of like uh, uh, ARGs, alternate reality games. They created like a, a, you know, content for the fans, like, um, like using th th that, the, the digital technology and digital social media of that day and age. Uh, and one thing in conversations that I've had with Tim, it, it was all about, well, he always called it like feeding the zombies. It's, it's, it's almost like as much content as you throw into the world it's there's so many there's a horde of fans that are just gobbling it up and you can't produce it fast enough to feed mm -hmm. th these these fans these rabbit fans so the the way to do it is to find a way where um fan creation becomes you you sort of you sort of uh crowdsource a lot of that that creation and you 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 give the fans a voice so that the fans can also feed themselves and it creates a sort of a um a positive feedback loop between the fans and the team that's actually creating the stuff. Now that, that you took that and you brought that into, into reflector, that whole, that whole ideology. So, so speak to me about, you know, you started reflector. Uh, how did you build that out? What was your first steps? And then how did you get to unknown nine and what mm -hmm. you're doing now? So, um, so the idea was really that it really initially started with that concept, that concept of, of transmedia. And I knew that to, to, you know, a concept, an idea is, is, is great, but it, it only works if you have the right content behind it. You know, you, you know, the, the concept in itself is, is worthless. If, if it doesn't have the right product or the right world to push behind it. So the first um, couple of years we were a lot about, um, trying to figure out um, what, what IP or what new world um, we could create that, that was compatible with this concept of transmedia, but that really resonated well with, uh, with the, the zeitgeist of the moment. You know, I, I truly believe that if you're going to create a, a world or a universe that sort of um, that lasts in time, it has to resonate with the spirit of the moment, with the zeitgeist of the time. I mean, Star Wars, uh, when, when, when Lucas created it, um, it was it, it, it was the perfect timing because it was all about um, you know this rebel this ragtag band of rebels that were outnumbered by this overpowered military. For him, it was a metaphor on, on the Vietnam War, right, and on and on the rebels uh, that were the, the the Viet Cong, I guess, against mm -hmm. an imperialistic force coming. But it also was extremely positive in a world where, in a time where I think the the U.S. especially needed. A positive story. It wasn't about dark and depressing. There was hope. So I think that even if people don't know what's behind the inception of it, that energy and that force—no pun intended there. Sorry. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> that's all, no, that's fine. And Star Wars puns are always allowed. <laughs> but it, it sort of seeps through, and I, and I think that fans um, like we we capture that like a like a like an antenna, like a, you know, a signal to an antenna. So the first part was like, what, what, what's the world of today? You know, what, 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 is, what are the big questions that are essentially uh, fundamentally um, at the forefront of the human experience? And 
I started upon this side. One thing that came to mind is that we are we are evolving so fast as a species. Uh, we're we're getting to a point where we our transformation as a as a as a species is accelerating to um, um, vertiginous speeds, um, and we are essentially becoming gods uh, in most every sense of the word. And in, in the sense that we can we can we're cracking. The, the basic building blocks of the universe. And every every week I, I'd read articles about a new way that we could annihilate ourselves as a species. I read this article on on, yeah. on, uh, on the news like a few years ago that were, were they were thinking of creating these like miniature black holes to uh, to uh, power cities. And I'm like, oh, that's great. The miniature <laughs> black hole on the surface of the earth. Like what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so, 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 you know, the other ones were like, oh, we're, we're going to invent this retrovirus that uh, allows us to essentially add any genetic material to it, uh, like to, a cure for something so that we infect people with the cure and that, yeah, like then it mutates and yeah. then we have a zombie plague or something. Plague or something. So like, again, what can possibly go wrong with that? So, I felt that um, we had attained the knowledge of, of gods, but our, our capacity to wield that knowledge, our collective wisdom, was actually dwindling. We went from mm -hmm. a society that used to venerate wisdom to a society that venerated knowledge, and now we're, we live in a society that venerates data. But data is knowledge that hasn't been analyzed, and knowledge is, is, is wisdom that has been acquired through books, not through experience. So I felt that. We're, we're at a, a crux um, in, in our evolution, and we either transcend our, our, our inherent flaws as a species and transcend to that next level, or we, we really risk annihilating ourselves as a species. And that's where Unknown Nine came from. That concept, that the, the, and like, like Lucas with Star Wars and the Vietnam War, people might never know this if, if nobody tells them, but it, the spirit of it is encoded in the DNA of the, the world. And so hopefully this is what people um, will, will seize on and, and it, it'll, it'll create a world and characters that are very relevant to, to the realities of today. I love, I love that you, the thought that went into this and I think it's, it's, it's highly relevant. And I, and even just your point about the, the fact that we that we've sort of degraded um, how we make decisions as a, as a society, I would even argue that, um, many of our decisions are no longer even database. I think that we've taken a step back from that. Um, but um, that's not the point of this. That's not the point of this podcast. Oh, yeah, um, I, I think. <laughs> um, so as you build out Unknown Nine, where are you at in its creation now? Just to sort of tee it up for everyone. Because I saw the trailer and the trailer really just walks through. Um, it's a, it's a, a beautiful trailer. It, doors open and shows a plum tree. It speaks about, I guess, a, a god like leaving um, a portal open and that's just like the teaser to queue up the story. And I didn't know where, where you were in the actual development or the release. Um, so where are you at right now? So um, we're working hard on, on what we call the, our first story cycle and okay. a story cycle is something that we, uh, we came up with, but it, it's the equivalent. Think of it. It is to transmedia what a season is to a television show. Okay. So you, you have to wrap it up into um, digestible uh, bites so that people can actually start and end follow. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. 
That's netsuite.com slash Scott Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the 
best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. And know where to start the next cycle. So if it's just like a, a, a big sprawl, then it, it's, uh, it might be scary or, or, or difficult to, to, to the uninitiated. But if you break it up into narrative cycles, so uh, we're working on our first story cycle. Our first story cycle is uh, three novels. Uh, we've published the first one. We, we've, we've kept it pretty hush-hush because I'll, I'll get into that later about our announcement that we, because of COVID, we sort of had to, 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 to cancel it. But the first novel is out. Uh, we've, the, the second one is finished. It's, uh, it's, I think it's, it's finalizing um, the editor this week or next week. The third one is already outlined. Um, we are working on a, a comic series, a comic book series of 12 issues, which is about the size of Watchmen, if you want a comparison. Um, we're working on a podcast. It's three seasons. The first one is completely recorded. We're finalizing the writing on season two. Season three is outlined, and we're going to start recording season two pretty soon. Uh, COVID again, as soon as it, it, it dies out a little bit. Um, we're working on this uh, ambitious digital platform uh, where you can consume all these products. It, you don't need to consume them on the platform. You can buy the book on Amazon or whatever, but it's, it's a one place where you can actually uh, delve into the world and the platform itself is an interactive experience. So you can be part, remember we talked about like the fan base being part yeah. of it. Well, this is it. Like you're part of the world. You're, you're part of the, you're a character in the world and you can actually delve into it and explore, find secrets, like follow us down the rabbit hole. Uh, there, there's a, it, it's a very ambitious uh, initiative. Um, and uh, we're also working on a, a AAA video game and we're also developing uh, a film. Um, and uh, we have loads of digital um, series that also are embedded in our, our platform um, that, uh, that you can consume on the platform. And I guess I, a question about like how you built out this narrative and how you went through these sprints, for lack of a better term, um, because I'm, I'm uneducated on this. So as you go through the different sprints and you release these different products, is what's the strategy behind getting somebody engaged and involved and in love with this story world? Why the book first? Why not the video game? Why not a movie first? Mm -hmm. uh, it really depends on the, um, it's a very good question. It really depends on the, um, on, on the story world or even on the, the specific uh, story cycle. So um, the, right now, like the, the way that we were supposed to launch it was not just the novel. It was supposed to be a, a lot of stuff in tandem, but then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. um, so the way we do it is that we don't treat, you don't need to have read the book to enjoy the film or the game or uh, each product is standalone and it's each product is treated like it's an acquisition channel. So we, we create the novel, not like a spinoff of something else. We create the novel as though we were only making a novel. It's, it's for us, it's a priority. It's like our principal product. And we create the podcast with the same philosophy, every product. So if somebody just likes books and likes that genre of book, they'll find that book really good. And the book is actually like rated, I think three, uh, 4.20 4. something on, on Goodreads, which is very high for Goodreads because we treated it like it's, this is it. This is not like a, an ancillary that we just write and like give to somebody and, uh, you know, just write something fast so that we can capitalize on whatever our main product is. It's treated like a main product. So um, the way, the way that, everybody will get into the IP into the world is different. If, if you're, if you're a novel reader and you read it and you, you like it, and then you learn that there's a podcast, you might give it a try and then you might get hooked on it. And then you might hear about a video game. And then that's your own journey. My journey might be more, I love comic books and uh, I, I'm enjoying the comic book. And then I might give the, the film a try because Hey, some of the characters are in the film, but if we go watch the film together and I've played the game, and read the comic book and you've, you know, read the book and listened to podcasts, you're going to have a different perspective than I do. And so when the film is going to start, I'm like, Oh shit, I know what this character is. And you you're like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But, wait, but, but yeah, but it's not, it's not so clear cut because that character also did this. And then it gets us into a debate and it, it encourages conversations, uh, talks like forums, like it posts. So that's how you sort of 
encourage that building of that community by giving people different perspectives and allowing them to connect the dots. But because everybody has a different perspective, they're going to see connections that others aren't. And mm -hmm. so that, again, it encourages all of that, like hopefully all of that cool chemistry on social media and community building and community growth. And, and is this, um, I, I want to understand um, how you were planning to take this to market in COVID and state of the industry before that. I just wanted to understand, is this something that is entirely proprietary? Is there anyone else doing anything like this? Or is the concept of a story world purposefully building a story world, is that innovative in, in this industry? Um, I, it is pretty innovative. And um, a lot of people have toyed around with, uh, with um, transmedia and, um, um, you know, like this, this, the concept of transmedia isn't new, um, but the specific way that Reflector is doing it is pretty new. And, uh, you know, it, any company that says that they're doing transmedia, uh, often, oftentimes, and I, I don't want to generalize, but often mm -hmm. when you have a conversation after five minutes, you go, aha. And the, usually the haha is when they start talking about their tentpole, right? Well, it really is a TV show, but we're creating all of this stuff too. Yeah. So um, it's okay to have like Reflector, we have, we know what our revenue driver is. We know which one is the product that we are hoping to make money out of, but, or principal money driver. But there's a difference between the money driver, the revenue driver, and uh, <clears throat> the philosophy and the deployment and, and, and what you're keeping your eye on. So most companies, the thing is, even if a company has all of these different divisions, let's say they have comic books, they have games, they have films, TV shows, like all of it, but they're all siloed. And on top of each silo is somebody that runs that division or that company. And that person will find it difficult to swallow if, um, you know, let's say I, I, I'm, I'm the uh, company X and I run the game division and I'm told, well, your game is a lost leader because the mm -hmm. TV show is going to make a lot of money. I'm going to say, well, why, why will I have red on my bottom line so that the person uh, that runs the other division can, can recall the profits? I'm, I'm penalized for this. So it, it, it becomes difficult to collaborate. Whereas Reflector, um, the business model is on the IP itself. It's on the world. So it's much easier then to have lost leaders because your, your, your ultimate valuation is on the, the world itself that you're building, as long as the world expands, it grows, the fan base grows, as long as you're making money, it's okay to sacrifice certain products as lost leaders because ultimately, even if they're not making any direct money, they're increasing the value of the, of the IP of the world. Yeah, no, that's that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 that, that's what's really different about like uh, the, specifically about our business model. So, so walk me through uh, how you were going to take it to market um, because I, I read an article on South by Southwest mm -hmm. uh, and how you were planning on, on creating this, uh, this, I guess, this, uh, this event at South, South by Southwest. And I thought that was a great microcosm of how you can, you can build out so many different facets to even a launch. So it's like, you know, everything you do seems to be multifaceted and have so many different angles. Um, and then also just, I guess, the state of the industry, you know, what, what you are planning on doing that you're allowed to talk about in terms of taking it to market because obviously COVID and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I, I can tell you how we were going to do it and now how we're sort of like without, again, without revealing too much, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll explain how mm -hmm. we're sort of reacted and, and how we've, uh, we've um, reimagined uh, our, our to market strategy. So originally, um, we were going to announce uh, Unknown 9 and we were going to actually release a lot of products at South by Southwest. And uh, about a week before, a little less than a week before uh, it opened, we actually had people on the ground there preparing. Um, it was canceled because of COVID. Now, the way we were going to do it is that one of the products that I didn't talk about was live events. And I didn't talk about it earlier for obvious reasons, because right now it's very difficult to think about live events when people are still wearing masks and people are still afraid for their, for their lives. So our priority has to be, first and foremost, people's safety. But back then, we really thought, and I still believe, like one, once, once hopefully COVID is going to be resolved, uh, you know, eventually with, uh, with the vaccine or medication, and I think humans are social animals. It, it would be a shame that we can't go back to, uh, to, to, to actual social gatherings because I think that's part of what our species is about. Um, 
So we were going to do probably one of the most ambitious uh, live events ever attempted at South by Southwest. So we were, first of all, we were opening, uh, we were the, doing the official opening party for the interactive division of South by Southwest. Uh, and then we were inviting people to uh, this uh, event that was happening in the streets uh, of Austin. This huge architectural dig uh, and people were going to be part of it and people were, were going to show what was discovered under the city. And it was this very, very ambitious, uh, um, very cool uh, event that people could take part in. And, uh, and this would lead to our announcement. And we were going to announce that we were going to launch a bunch of products. Um, a bunch of the ones that I, I spoke about earlier today. And then, um, and then it was going to be also the launch of our platform. And then the platform would evolve gradually as, fan, as fans sort of joining. We would go to phase one, phase two, phase three. And, and, and then as new products were, were released, uh, we, would, we, would, uh, we would expand that experience in the platform and, and, and the, the narrative, uh, the ongoing narrative. So obviously we had to rethink everything and we had mm -hmm. to react very quickly when, when you know, stuff started happening very, very quickly. Um, and the team, the, the team and I, we, we, we sort of pulled back and we started thinking about like, okay, like this thing is here to stay for a while, this COVID. Um, so how do we start envisioning um, a, a launch that um, takes into account the new reality that we live in? So we essentially fell back on something that was a lot more digital in nature. So we're still going to use an event to to amplify our message. We're we're still going to use uh, like even if it is a digital event, but then our launch and our strategy, at least for the moment, is going to be wholly digital, and we're going to avoid anything that's live. Uh, just again, yeah, for, for of safety. Um, but the the good thing about this is that um, people are actually never going to get to see version one of the platform because we kept working on it um, since. South Southwest, and we're, when we actually launched the initial version, it's not going to look like what was supposed to be the initial version. It's all, already going to look like something much, much more ambitious. So I'm at least excited about that part. I think fans are, you know, it, it's going to be much more of a cool experience to see something that, that is already a game changer rather than having, you know, the first portion and having see that game changing aspect be integrated later on. So, that, that, so do you have... Um... It, do you have public timelines for as things roll out or is it still sort of being, you know, in the works under, under wraps right now? It's still under wraps, but okay. what, what I'll tell you is that it, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, end of this year, um, yeah. we're, we're going to, we're going to have, um, we're, we're going to have a big announcement. Okay. Very cool. No, I'm, I'm more asking for myself now because the more you <laughs> tell me about this, the more I'm getting excited about it. <laughs> it's really, really, it's a very, very cool concept. And now once you understand the thought behind it, um, I think you like you know you appreciate it even more as opposed to just another piece of IP. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do have uh, I have like some rapid fire questions that I like to ask just to bring out insights that you've learned over your career. Before mm -hmm. I pivot, um, is there anything that I don't or that I didn't ask that I should have about um, Unknown Nine? Uh, you know, Reflector. Anything you're dealing with right now that uh, you, you just wanted to speak about? Okay. <laughs> so, so we did a good job. All right. Good. Good. All right. Um, and I just like to ask some of these questions to tee up your professional experience because you've had uh, such a, an incredible career. Um, so what, what would be some advice that you would give someone who was looking to go into a career in creative? Um, the one thing I would say is, um, is to always follow your instincts. Uh, because um, a lot of the decisions that I, that I made in my career might not have been the logical ones at the moment, but they were the ones that my heart was, was, was indicating. Um, and I think that it's funny how um, when you do that, things seem to line up and, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and things seem to, to, like the opportunities that will, and also sometimes a road that might seem like a, a riskier one um, might be the one that leads you to something where you never would have, like I, I never thought I would at one point find myself as, as creative director of, of a, such a big franchise as Assassin's Creed. Um, and I certainly didn't seek it out because um, I mean, to, 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 
one could certainly try to seek it out, but I, I, how does one get there, right? So it happened completely um, out of the blue. Uh, and I, I wouldn't even have imagined that like two years prior, like if somebody had told me you're gonna, you're gonna leave that franchise at one point, I would be like, yeah, really, how? So, so by, I think by following your instincts and uh, staying true to that, I think that the, the, the world has a way of sort of guiding you around those currents and, and leading you towards, uh, towards um, like um, calm waters. Very good. Um, in, terms of, in terms of what you're curious about or what you're researching or you're excited about in creative and IP creation, is what, what are you looking into now that's going to be the future of your industry? Mm -hmm. That's a super good question. And it's, it, it's um, I mean, it's such a, the, it's, it's, it's in such a state of flux right now, the, like the, every industry, like mm -hmm, a, yeah. the creative industry especially, is in such a state of flux that it's, it's difficult to see even like what mediums are going to be popular. Like, look, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I, I love film and I, I, I'm a huge film fan. I have a huge film library. But I've noticed lately that I, I didn't even remember last time I, I saw a film because I, I'm always watching series. And now when I watch a film, I have a sense that something's missing, that it's almost like, uh, like I'm so used to the format. And this happens so fast, but it, simultaneously in such a gradual way that I never realized that my, 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 my perception flipped on a medium that has been something that I've, I've loved for my, my entire life. So that's the speed at which things are shifting right now. So I, I think that what I would say, what I would think is, I think the paradigm has to shift from the medium to what the value is that you're bringing the, the universe. And I think that's what, what Reflector is trying to do. And we're, we're, we're doing it one way, but I'm certain that there's, you know, a hundred other ways of doing it that might be as good or better. Um, but I think that the important thing is that I think that people have to, to be open-minded about like questioning the paradigms that we've we've essentially inherited from a very different world. These companies were created in the 20th century, right? These big companies. The world was very different. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other part of your question, like how do I and where do I get my inspiration? Um, I really believe that creativity, I don't think that creativity is some sort of like weird voodoo that happens. I think that <laughs> I think that creativity is um, a direct result of what you pump into your brain. And I think that the more diverse subject matters you insert into your brain, the more original ideas are going to be spewed out by your brain. So uh, I read about science. I love fiction, nonfiction. Uh, I, I, I'm interested by everything. Uh, I think the world is a fantastic, uh, interesting place full of magic. And um, I think that if people choose to see it that way, they're going to come up with magic and they're going to come up with stuff that is out of the box and it feels fresh. I think that the, the, you know, and this goes back to also your question that you asked me about, like the, the, the advice. I think this is also a really like yeah. from my perspective anyways, is, is it's very easy to start seeing the world through pessimistic or negative eyes. But I think that, um, I think that um, <clears throat> seeing the magic and everything is what brings about, change and what brings about like uh, quality. Um, so as a creative, you always have to remember uh, to see the world through those eyes, the eyes of a child, you know? Yeah. I like that answer a lot. Um, and that actually tees up. I, I'm curious about where you go to learn and sort of stay on top of, on top of what's happening. Is, are there specific resources or is it just a diverse, you know, a diverse set? Um, so, when I've, I've never been one for um, like a, a lot of conferences and stuff like that. It's just like, um, it, it's not really my personality. Um, yeah. I love reading. Um, and I think that also uh, having an amazing team of people that are smart and that have varying points of view, putting them in a room, if everybody is always respectful, varying points of view. And this is something that, you know, the world today is, is, this is, this is slowly dying away, right? People now, it's more of a tendency of surrounding yourself with people that think exactly like you. But I think this is a mistake because you, you, you just keep um, shrinking your circles, your perspective more and like an more. An echo chamber. of Yes. Yeah. Whereas 
it's okay to have varying opinions as long as nobody's harming anybody, but having varying, and it's okay for people that have varying opinions to have that opinion, right? Uh, and it, I think it's what makes, it's also a check and balance for, for, for not only for creatives, but for the world in general, uh, to, to make sure that we never go down a road where everybody's sort of convinced of, of something. So, so I think that like allowing that, surrounding yourself with smart people of, of varying opinions, talented people, that also is, is something that keeps um, that, that create, creative spark and that originality alive. Is there is there any any uh, books in particular like actual titles that you that you you've read that you really like? Um, there's many. I mean, uh, I know. Look, uh, uh, <laughs> I see behind you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, look, uh, Leonardo da Vinci biography. It's uh, an amazing uh, bio. Like, I'm, I'm not a, a huge fan of biographies, but some of them are very well. Like, uh, I I really like Walter Isaacson. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want books on, on, uh, um, um, like, um, on writing, there's many that are cool. I love, like, I'm not a fan of Stephen King, but Stephen King on writing is such an amazing book. I think it's, in my opinion, the best book on writing that I've, certainly that I've ever read. And uh, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't talk about writing, but it does. <laughs> it so does. So, um, um, you know, um, Sapiens is an amazing book uh, that everybody should read. It's about humans, about our journey. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, what else is interesting? Uh, I love history. Obviously, it, the Assassin's Creed part of my career sort of uh, gives that up. But uh, yeah. I, I love I love history, um, like from the ancient world to classic history, medieval to the Renaissance. I think that um, history is. If people read more about history, I think we would avoid a lot more problems because humans are humans. We're the same people that existed 2,000, 6,000 years back. Very little has changed except our environment. So we do make the same mistakes. And uh, you know, knowing and reading about history is, is, is an amazing way to at least uh, avoid the ones that we've made in the past and just focus on trying to avoid the ones that, uh, that you know, we haven't yet made. Very good. Um, and then uh, I, I actually, I never asked you if you have a hard stop. I hope not because I've just been going because there's so much, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff coming out of this. Um, I only have a couple more quick questions if you don't mind. Um, what's uh, what's um, a lesson that you would tell your younger self? Um, hmm, that's a really good one. Um, I would probably tell myself to, um, you know, like, uh, and, and uh, uh, I would probably tell myself not to take things, uh, to, 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 to treat life more like a game in the sense that um, uh, I, I tend to be somebody that, uh, that is very, very um, emotional, uh, uh, where, whether it's about what I create, mm -hmm. whether it's about like, uh, like things, um, and, um, I think that this goes with the, 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 the creative aspect of myself, right? Uh, yeah, I think creative people are, 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 are inherently people that are, that are connected to their emotions because this is what you're channeling, you know, when you're writing or, uh, it's almost like self-hypnosis where your, 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 your brain is, is sort of, uh, just channeling pure thought and emotion. Uh, but I think that, uh, when I look to, uh, to somebody like my wife, for example, where she's a, the eternal optimist, she, for her. I mean, life is something that essentially um, that, that you need. It's, it's almost like a river that you follow and you just need to be careful not to hit the sides, but you just go with the flow. And if you're careful to avoid the obstacles, it'll take you to where you need to be. Whereas a lot of times, um, especially younger, you tend to want to fight the current. And, and I think that's a mistake. I think that like channeling that uh, like life energy and like taking things as they come and just being Zen about it, I think is probably something that a lot of creatives um, um, deal with. And it's, it's not only it's something that I would tell my younger self, but it's something that I would tell any person that, that is in the creative industry. Um, yeah. No, it's very good. And then um, what, is, what does success mean to you? Um, for me, success is all about um, a quest for excellence. Um, and excellence is not something that you ever get to. It's something that if you're lucky, sometimes you sort of, um, 
you almost like you, uh, you, 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 you lightly touch, right? And it's, I think it's, a, it's something that you do your entire life. Um, getting to create something that is excellent, um, I think it's a, li- it's a life quest, right? And, and success for me is sometimes maybe just glancing at it and, or, or, or just touching it lightly and being able to say that, you know, I was able to, I was able to do that. Right. Um, um, I think that, I think that today we, 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 we very often get lost in the immediacy of success being like monetary or it being, you know, like, um, uh, I don't know, like, uh, I, I think that, I think that uh, for me, success is, is not an, a goal. It's, it's a moving, it's a moving target. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's like a, it's like a, it's like, a, it's like a, omnipresent just like like a so you're always because i i I understand what you're saying you're saying you know we get too focused on these tangible milestones like you know i make this much money or i did this or i got but that's it's temporary right like you can't have that because then what happens when you hit that and you're on the other side of that right that's an issue if you if you can if you've envisioned success that way i think i don't want to put words in your mouth i think it's what you you were mentioning yeah and look if if you if you um if your mindset is about that journey, it's about that finding that excellence, especially as a creative, right? Um, then, then you're never done, and and you're happy about having, oh man, like this this part right here, wow, like I'm so proud of that because I I, I sort of like I touched upon that excellence, right? But next time, I'll do better, and maybe it'll be you know, but you know that it's something that you'll never fully attain, but it, it's great because those rewards that you get when you sort of like lightly touch upon that success, that, that excellence are what drives you to the next one. And, and lastly, the most important, where can uh, the listeners connect with you online and find out um, more? Um, so they can go to unknown9.com. They can go to reflector.com. Um, they can go to Instagram. They can go to Twitter and uh, I, I'm there. Reflector is there. So. That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. 
tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 